And one of the things we talk about is if we don't give effort, if we're not recognized for effort at the University of Oklahoma, then I'm a con man and they're a fraud. Alright guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Kamiar Morabi, and joined today by my co-host, Jack Shields. Jack, it is May 11th. How is how's life treating you? It's good, man. It's uh, it's essentially hanging around the house, watching shows, eating food, and not getting to chores, being a big procrastinator. There's been a uh, a box has been in our living room for three weeks with our dresser in it. And basically every time I look at it, I get an anxiety attack and I don't do it. So basically that's my life right now is not putting together the dresser. And you Someday said it like, I'm going to put it together. You said it was like well, an Ikea thing, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like you put it together. <clears throat> I mean, it, the box of screws that it comes with is like four times the size of my head. And um, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> do you like? Do you get special offers like from IKEA, like on their meatballs and stuff like that? No, it, it wasn't from IKEA, but like it's that kind of thing. Oh, I see. It's lots, lots it's got of. Got a good deal movies. on it. It's a nice dresser, but like you get a dresser for one hundred and fifty bucks. That's a steal. But then they yeah, don't tell you nice. that you have. Uh, like I looked up the YouTube video for putting this thing together, and someone was like, "Yeah." It took me seven hours. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to no. do this. That's something that you just like, you like put a couple is, games like on. Like, that's a background. whole Saturday. I yeah. mean, I don't know. <clears throat> it is. It is. Like, have you been venturing out during your lessened quarantine? Like, now that things are starting to open and stuff like that? Or did you do anything special for Mother's Day? Yeah, we, we did go to brunch for Mother's Day, and we went to a place that did a very good job with the whole social distancing hmm. thing. Like, the tables were – Where'd you go? Pepperoni, uh, pepperoni Grill up in Edmond. Okay. It's, nice. it's good. Uh, it's solid. But, like, uh, yeah, like the waitresses were wearing the masks, had gloves on. They were sanitizing the napkins. They were sanitizing the tables. I mean, they were doing a really good job. So shout out to Pepperoni Grill in Evan. It was a nice place for brunch for Mother's Day for sure. Shout out to my mom, Mother's Day. Yeah, that's shout, shout, out, to mom, shout out to all the moms out there Absolutely. that did that did good things and that yeah. uh, they were able to raise their kids well and not into crazy people. But yeah, I, I, I've been venturing out a little bit more. Like I used to be pretty, pretty quarantined and pretty isolated in the house. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, and then it's, it started with like walks around the neighborhood, then running around several other neighborhoods. And now like, I'm not, I'm not I just kind of, I go places, but I'll wear a mask if I'm like in public. Yeah. Like for example, like if I go to Seven Eleven, I might put a mask on, but if I'm going to the store or something like that, I'll definitely put a mask on and stuff like that just to protect myself and others. But man, it's been, it's been wild. I've read more books in a month than I've ever read in my life, even in grad school. Yeah. Uh, I've watched a lot of movies I've never seen before. And, um, yeah, like Frank, a really bad, a really bad idea that I had. I'd never read Anne Frank's diary. Right. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And, uh, so I was like, all right, I'm going to read this thing. And so I, I read, I read it and it was of course, as depressing as you thought it would be at the end, because like towards the end, um, and Frank gets, starts to become very hopeful because like the, uh, the English are invading and stuff like that, which is good news for them. 
And then all of a sudden the diary stops. And yeah. then the only survivor of the family was her father. And so you find that out. And you're like, oh, that's, that's really depressing. And then I was like, you know what? I've never seen this movie called The Pianist about World War II. It's so and good. It I, wa- I watched it. Brody kicks ass. I watched it. Really and uh, Adrian Brody was a really good uh, actor for that. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I'll watch this. Because I've seen Schindler's List. I've seen, that I've was seen like his breakthrough performance, if I yeah. recall. I think that's where he... He was at the Oscars and I guess kissed Halle Berry when he went up there or something like that. Nice. And everyone was like, who's this Adrian Brody guy? And then he's been famous ever since, I guess. But yeah, it just, I'd never seen it before. And I'd seen a lot of uh, several other World War II or Holocaust movies. I didn't watch like a lot of World War II movies for some reason. Like I watched Unglorious Bastards for like the second time in three days. Great movie. The other day. Yeah, it's Ariba Durchi, you know, all the rain. <laughs> Daddy's hilarious. But um, and Christoph I watched- Waltz is incredible. <laughs> Yes. And just like, you know, everything. Have you, did you know that the the Christoph Waltz and Brad Pitt, they're, they're, uh, the play, the the players, the, the characters that they played were supposed to be reversed. That Brad Pitt was supposed to play the evil Nazi guy that like was really nice. And Christoph Waltz is supposed to play Aldo. And because really? since Brad Pitt was having such a difficult time learning German and Christoph Waltz already knew German, yeah. he just said, all right, let's do this. I, I had I had no idea because, I mean, Christoph Waltz was so perfect for that role. Yeah, he really was. It, it would not occur to me that it would be the other way around. And Brad yeah. Pitt obviously was perfect for his role. So It just seems really? funny to know that after the fact that they're just like, oh, well, let's we'll just switch it. That's pretty. That that's is pretty fascinating. Wild. I had no idea about that. Yeah. So, like, watch it again, knowing that it'll really mess with you sometimes. But uh, I guess we should start the podcast, right? Instead I of guess. talking about stuff. But hey, guys, we have a lot of things for you guys. Sooner series for 2001. Uh, things are a little bit different. It's a little more of an offensive struggle, but means more defense and means more defensive, exciting plays. Pretty big recruiting update, to say the least. You got some Oklahoma folks in here. Of course, the most recent linebacker commit did happen out of Florida. Uh, it was a virtual commitment. So they're just uh, this, this he took a virtual visit, too. Yeah. Lincoln Riley and those dudes, they are killing it in the virtual tour game. And then we'll have some Twitter questions and some other things involved with, you know, schools. Playing football in the fall, Zach Evans committed today for another time, and that was that's uh, see that's how pretty, that works out. Yeah, it's really, really intriguing. Very intriguing. But uh, if it works on? out, then you know, good for TCU. I think but. I think it will, but I don't I don't know if Gary Patterson has the uh, patience. I don't, know if, I, I don't know if I don't know if he has that in him, but we'll see. Maybe it's like a maybe it's like a if you screw up one time, you're gone sort of situation. And he will just like really make the most out of it. Mm. It's been possible. To him. But talking about 2001 and this year is seemingly forgotten other than the Roy Williams Superman play in Dallas, Texas. People forget some of the good games that came out of this. People forget Nate Hibble was the starter to begin the year. And that Jason White came in just before getting injured in the Nebraska game uh, up there in Lincoln. And it's just this Kansas State game that we're going to talk about is the first game that happened after September 11th. So there's already like a lot of emotion in the air. There's already like, you know, I remember the narrative was, should we 
play sports? Like, is like, what should we do? Like, should we even be playing sports right now after this happened and yeah. stuff like that? And it's just yeah, the it, uh, Tulsa it a, game was actually postponed to the middle of the season. It was supposed to happen after nine eleven. It was moved mm-hmm. to the middle of the season, if I recall correctly. Yeah, and so it's just a different era. I mean, you're coming off the you're coming off the two thousand national title season and. Uh, the the 2001 season was the first season that I actually got to go to a home opener. Um, and it was the North Carolina game and Julius Peppers was there, but I mean, everything of course happened and for 2001 and what do you remember just really from this Kansas state game? Okay. There, Cause there are things that stick out, but what do you yeah, remember? There are a lot. Well, I mean, one, oh, you getting off to a big lead mm-hmm. at the beginning of it and thinking they were going to coast. And it's not like they played poorly in that game to let them come back in. There was some shoddy tackling at the time. But Kansas State, I mean, L. Roberson was a beast. <laughs> I mean, he was really awesome. The week before that, or not, maybe not the week before that, but the game before that, they played USC. I think it was Pete Carroll's first season. They weren't the USC that they were going to be. But they were still fairly talented. And Kansas State – beat them 66 to three, I believe Mm -hmm. they were really good. They ended that year six and six somehow, but that was a really talented Kansas state team. I mean, and they, uh, they gave OU a pretty big scare in the end. I remember OU going with the intentional safety late to make it a one point game. And it, it was the right move, but it was definitely a bit of a bold move because Kansas state, even after that made it too close for comfort. But, um, man, one other thing, the crowd was electric. The co- college game day was there, if I recall correctly. And uh, it, they did it, like, in the stadium. They used to do it in the stadium when they did college game day. They did it, like, in the corner, yep. the southwest corner, like, right where our seats were. So, and you could kind of hear them a little bit. But it was a weird setup back then. They didn't do it on campus at OU. They just did it in that corner. And basically, it was an 11 a.m. game, so the crowd's in there, and you see them making their picks and stuff like that, and then it's the game. It was odd. But, like, uh, I couldn't even imagine that today. But, I I mean, I guess they've done that for you, Texas. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, the crowd back then, this was the year after the national championship game. So, the OU fan base wasn't quite to the point where they were super spoiled because they were still fresh off of the nineties, mm-hmm. but they were in a really good place self-esteem wise because they had obviously just come up in off a national championship. So the OU fan base at that point was about as, I guess, capable of getting loud and as, as excitable as possible is what I would say. Cause now, I mean, it takes a lot to impress OU fans because I mean, we're spoiled. We, we, yeah. We have to have a 10-win season. You have to put up – if you don't put up 500, 600 yards in a game, the offense sucks. That's the way you look at it. But, like, uh, back then it was a little different. So, uh crowd was a little more excitable. There was definitely a lot more uh, of a buzz in the air for that game, even though the uh, East Upper Deck wasn't there. I mean, it was extremely oh, yeah. loud. It was really, really <clears throat> loud for that Hunter Wall fake punt touchdown which is one of my favorite OU plays of all time yeah because you mentioned that before I even watched it because I I just remember this game 
being incredibly close at the end. And I, I was watching it and I remember, and I saw, Oh, you jumped out to like a 14, nothing lead. I was like, Oh, it's how does this game become even become close? And then UCL Roberson dashed through like six tacklers and just barge into the end zone. And then eventually, uh, like you, like you said, uh, there's, there's a fake punt and it was, it was pretty unreal. Like they stacked four receivers wide to the right. Like, yeah, that's, that's incredible. Like it, what was it? They snapped it to the punter. He threw it to one of the four stacked receivers on the right. Mm-hmm. And they threw it all the way back across the field to, to the left. Wall, yeah. And the dude just like waltzed into the he had end. A convoy, zone. yeah. He had a really good convoy. <clears throat> just an, just really fun and really impressive. And you know, something that I, I really noticed in this game was Nate Hibble, although we give him all kinds of crap, and Jim Traber loved to give him crap. Yeah, see, that, I still remember that Colorado Big Twelve Championship yeah. game. Yeah, oh, man, I've got, I've got the, I've, I have that YouTube clip of. Yeah. Oh God! Of, well, see, I blame Al Eshback more than anyone else for bringing it up in the interview. Yeah, he stoked the fire. He's How like, awkward. I defended you. I defended you. And then like Hibble's like what? What was Hibble's like? What's my what's my buddy saying again? And then Jim Traver just sitting there, sitting there like a church lady. He's like, nope. Nope, not gonna talk about it. Not gonna talk about it. It was then really incredible. For the next probably month, maybe two months, was just every single collar to the sports animal was just crucifying him. <laughs> it, I mean, more so. You than hate to see it. Like it yeah. was. <laughs> it was great sports radio. I got Doug, Go- Doug Gottlieb was on the was on he the was, call. Yeah, he, was, he was there back then. Yeah. Yeah. You, okay, I give him a lot of shit now because now he's so much of a troll. But he was, he was, bad, he was bad. doing local stuff in Oklahoma City after his Oklahoma State days. He was pretty good. He really was. Yeah, he was. I agree. I mean, when he's not channeling <laughs> his takes towards being, you know, a hot taker and trying to, you know, yeah, get uh, get like hate retweets essentially. He's actually a pretty insightful guy. Now his objective is to be a dipshit, but yeah, he does it really it's, well. It sucks, but like, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. He used to be pretty good on local radio, though. He really was. So yeah, that's another thing. It now he has us blocked on Twitter, though. So yeah, whatever. I don't know if he has me blocked. He doesn't have my personal account blocked. He has our account blocked. Though, I made I sure. made so many mentions about credit cards, but no. Yeah, see, that there. was the thing that got us. Like he, uh, <laughs> he he had some trash take that was universally blasted. Obviously, which is what he does probably once every three months. But anyway, he he seemed kind of like triggered by it, and I took the time. <clears throat> to make a gif of, uh, you know, Home Alone 2 with Tim Curry. Mm -hmm. He's like the hotel manager or whatever at the Plaza Hotel. I made a gif of him uh, taking Kevin McAllister's dad's credit card out of Kevin McAllister's thing and saying, (laughs) what's the matter? Somebody take your stolen credit card? And he blocked me immediately. That's fantastic. That's great. (laughs) <laughs> you bring up stolen credit cards and he will block you if he sees it wow that's he good does stuff. not like having that brought up he's but, very willing to throw stones 
at young athletes for their behavior and saying they shouldn't mm-hmm. be forgiven for this and that. Like, dude. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. It's, it truly is. But yeah. He stole I, several credit cards. This one thing about Kansas State, Nate, Nate Hibble impressed me in the, with the idea that he was willing to stand in the pocket all day and deliver a throw despite him getting hit underneath the chin one second later. See, his pass protection sucked. That it, was bad. It, was it was bad. It was really, really bad. And he stood in there and took it like a champ while delivering throws. And I haven't seen really many OU quarterbacks do that. Just like they know they're about to get hit, but he's going to make that throw anyways. Yeah. And like you see a lot of quarterbacks, you know, of, since then they'll scramble around not to get hit because, but you know, to get a better throw. But if he sees a throw that's there, especially if it's like a long down the sidelines throw, he's not afraid to just take one on the chin, knowing he's about to get lit up. And that was something I really appreciated him. And then people don't appreciate Antoine Savage for what he did at OU. At one point, he was a leading receiver in yards in history at OU. Now, granted, take that with a grain of salt because prior to the Stoops era, there weren't weren't air raid, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, like, uh, he was a first-team All-Big 12 receiver in 2001. Yeah, he was good. He was really good. Granted, Rashawn Woods was snubbed, and he, I guess, took that personally and uh, Mm -hmm. took it out on OU later in the year. But That's true. Anyway, yeah, Antoine Savage, he was was pretty good. And He was good enough. Too. And OU's passing offense was a lot better in 0-2, and Antoine Savage was behind that year. Ian Fagan. But, like you said, and Mark uh, the Sooners were actually up 38-35, to and they had the ball with, like, I feel like 20 seconds. and They didn't they, want to kick it to Lockett. They didn't want to kick it to Lockett. Them the year before. Yep. Well, Aaron Lockett was – Stoops apparently yeah. decided to re-kick it to uh, Tyree Kill many years <laughs> later. But, uh, yeah, whatever. But, yeah, they oh, don't – God, don't. <laughs> They, they didn't want to. They didn't want to kick it to the locker, which makes sense. So they just like literally ran around. But like, typically you want to run around a little more than just like three seconds and yeah. waste a lot more time. This guy just like he took it, ran around for a few seconds, and then sat down, got the safety, the punting, and then so it's thirty-eight, thirty-seven, and the Kansas State like they get the ball near the forty, they can like do some damage with like you know maybe two throws left. Yeah, they could get into, they field, could goal have into field goal range. Yeah, and it's like my goodness. But the the game ended on a hail mary. OU wins thirty eight to thirty seven. Um, I remember the the story in the Oklahoman was uh, here, kitty, kitty. Uh, that was a front page story, um, and that was that was it. That yeah. resonates even more today, but with yeah. Tiger King. But yeah, it's true. The and coldest then, diss track since hit him up. Gosh, it's so good. But going on to the second game of the series, which is the one really pe- most people think about for 2001. It's really the only one that has a good memory. I mean, you look at Nebraska, and that's not a good memory. You look at you look at the bowl game, that's just like it's just there. And you look at Oklahoma State and Bedlam and Stillwater, and that's just that's that, I'd that's say what that loss was top five most. Uh-huh my life <clears throat> and so this ga- this game it, it personifies a generation it personifies a player it personifies a, a what people thought about a mike stoops defense would be uh, and it personified that for a long time until modern offenses came about and so 
the OU Texas game, this entire game is a defensive struggle. Like nobody's getting a leg up on anybody. It's straight like today we would say it might be boring. Like it's like oh, nobody's scoring. It was They're, like an SEC football game. Like, yeah, like really. Thousands SEC football game. And the thing that I noticed most about these two games while watching them was, oh yeah, the targeting penalty doesn't exist anymore right here. So these dudes are just lighting each other up. Brandon with, Everage. Yes. Thrived in that era. And yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, something, we, that's something that's just like, you look at the defensive backs because they, they did the, the secondary and they show all their faces and their names. And you look from left to right and you're like, oh my, holy crap, you've got Derek Strait, Andre Wolfolk, Roy Williams, and Brandon Everage. Like, what do you do? What do you even do right there? And like, there's not a lot you can do. So, like, of course, Texas didn't do much, and they had Roy, they had their own Roy Williams who did yeah. nothing. Um, yeah, there but, were three Roy Williams in the Big 12 back then. There was the OU Roy Williams, the Texas wide receiver Roy Williams, mm-hmm. and then a Kansas basketball coach Roy Williams, now North Carolina. Yeah, it's confusing. Coach, but, yeah, a lot of Roy Williams energy in the Big 12 back then. Actually, really funny. Did you see that thing on Twitter the other day about – some North Carolina Tar Heel fan wanting like, you know, like you can pay like athletes or actors to say like a happy birthday. Cameo. Yeah. Yeah. Cameo. Like I guess somebody hit up the wrong, they hit up OU's Roy Williams when they really meant for Carolina's Roy Williams to say happy birthday. So he did the cameo (laughs) anyways. It was like, uh, go Tar Heels. I think he picked the wrong Roy Williams, but (laughs) really funny, man. That is outstanding. I've got to see that. But, yeah, this game was a big defensive struggle. You have Chris Sims. You have names like Nathan Basher. Uh, you got you have Nate Hibble playing. And didn't Nate, Nate Hibble get hurt? or wasn't he, got, he got dinged up, yeah. And then Jason yeah. White, the, who was a very different Jason White. Had both of his knees. He was, he was an athlete. He was like a 4-4-4-5-40 guy. Like, he was – he was making athlete. spin moves out there. Oh yeah, I mean he he. Uh, I think it was the next week or maybe the week after they played Kansas, and he broke off some long runs in that game, and you could see the wheels like on full display. Because he was an option quarterback ever yeah. at Tuttle. Yeah, Tuttle. Yeah, I mean he could move. He really could. And he so, was. Yeah. Uh, he was actually gonna go play quarterback at Miami. Miami. Mm-hmm. Before Bob Stoops like arrived and said, "Hey." come on in and he got him at the 11th hour to sign with Oklahoma but yeah with those big old Jenko jeans from Tuttle yeah, he was I've a see I've seen him recently in some air comfort solutions commercials mm-hmm. and the jeans have gotten a little tighter I've got to say I think yeah. someone probably had an intervention with him and said hey it's not 2003 we don't have every time I see those big jeans I think of like that type of rock from back then like that really bad alternative rock from back then yeah. like mashups of nickelback and saliva mm. that uh <laughs> i think of like those kind of that kind of music when i see those giant jeans from jason that's Wine. fair he's still trapped in that era but it's, it's amazing i think someone said hey i mean or maybe he just simply couldn't find those jeans anymore yep because no one makes those jeans anymore. Although I think Jinko is making a comeback. I yeah, I saw that. I think they sell them Macy's and stuff like that. Yeah, pretty wild. But yeah, Jason White and he got he he started to take control of the ball game. They actually started to move the ball a little more successfully, and 
him being able to scramble upfield, him juking out some Texas defenders, which is like that's not the Jason White a lot of people remember, but that's the Jason White with both of his knees. Yeah. And then the the crucial mistake of Texas rears its ugly head in which Nathan Vasher earlier, he – in the game, he decided to fair catch it, except a, he did not actually catch the ball. He let the ball roll down, and it rolled again near the goal line, uh, I believe inside the 10-yard line. And then, yeah. so like any coach, they're going to gripe at you and like, why didn't you catch the damn ball? So, of course, like in the midst of all this chaos of the Red River shootout, I think that's what they called it back then. Yeah, they did. And they – so – Nathan Vasher goes out there, the ball's punted in the air, and he's like, all right, well, last time they bitched at me for not catching the ball or fair catch. So he fair catches, and he catches the ball at his own two-yard line. And, then, and of course, I think Musburger's on the call. He's like, oh, what the hell is he doing? What's this guy doing? And it's like everybody <laughs> – you can see all the Texas coaches, like, face-palming. Again, like, Nathan Vasher, he's just like, what? You told me to catch the ball, so I caught the ball. And it's like – Man, you need to have a sense of awareness. So, yeah, really good football player too. Play. Everything worked yeah. out for him in the end. It just didn't that day. He actually had a uh, he had a kick six in the NFL for the Chargers. Yeah, he had a, a good career in the NFL. Yeah, oh yeah, he was really good. A lot of these early two thousands Texas Texas uh, cornerbacks and defensive backs did. Quentin Jammer was there too. Quentin like, Jammer was really good. Yeah, just really good. And and what a hell of a name for a player, right? Quentin yeah. Jammer as a DB. But Nathan Vasher just makes the massive mistake that sets up literally the play. And, oh, my God. It's just like, what were you thinking when you saw Roy Williams jump over the top and then the next thing you know, the ball just floating in the middle of the air? Uh, it all happened very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, it just like like, basically, it was Texas snaps the ball – Teddy Lehman is in the end zone being mobbed. Yeah, see, that's that, what that, I like, remember. I don't, I don't really remember much <laughs> in between that, like, in real time. Like, I mean, it just kind of happened so fast. Because I was really sure. confused. I remember watching it as a kid, being really confused as yeah. to what just happened. I remember, see, I remember seeing an OU player in white jump over the line of scrimmage, and then the next thing I know – Teddy Lehman has the ball running into the end zone. I'm like, wait, how did the ball get from Chris Sims to Teddy Lehman? Like, I didn't understand. And then they showed the replay, and it was just this immaculate. He jumped over the line, over the block, over the lead blocker, and got a hold of poor, poor Brett Robin, who was immortalized in sports photography. Chris Sims and Chris Sims is lucky he didn't get a safety. Like he probably would have rather taken the safety. Instead, it goes, and then Teddy Lehman is just right there and just drives into the end zone. And, I mean, these guys, they, I think Brent Musburger, like, they, you know, they have Boomer Sooner playing in the background. You hear all the snare drums playing on the, in the cadence. And he's like, do these guys ever lose a big game? <laughs> and I was thinking, man, you – The you narrator said, comes in at that point. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, they did. But, yeah, just – and then seeing it in slow-mo – and, and, and knowing the story behind it, that Roy Williams had done that early in the game and Mike Stoops chewed his ass out for yeah. it. And then Mike Stoops specifically told Roy Williams, don't jump over the damn 
guard again. They're going to chip you. And then Roy Williams says, okay. And he goes out the field and does it anyways. He jumps over the guard. He jumps over the lead blocker anyways and makes history. And, of course, he pulls him over on the sideline, tells him what, uh, what hell of a play he just made and pats him on the back for a play that Mike Stoops told him not to do. And that was, that was you know, the Superman play. I, I, read, I remember <clears throat> reading something about some guy, or maybe he was on the radio, maybe he was a sports animal, a guy called in and explained that I think the topic was the most regrettable sports moments they'd ever had or witnessed. And a guy went to the Red River shootout with his wife in 2001. And um, during a moment in the game, he noticed his shoe was tied. So he bent over to tie his shoe. And then while he bent over to tie his shoe, he heard this massive roar from the crowd and he had just completely missed the play and then <laughs> saw that it was 14 to three, or I guess it would be 13 to three. And he's just like, just missed probably one of the most iconic moments of the two thousands, if not OU football and, and that rivalry rivalry in general. Well, that's pretty, pretty funny and pretty special. The Sooners win 14 to three and, that's that's going to be a score very similar to that of their Cotton Bowl game against the Arkansas yeah. Razorbacks later on. Three, that's I believe. Yeah, I was at that game. Very cold. Cold, cold as hell. No offense. Super cold. People getting their help, their face masks stuck together. I uh, one of my biggest memories of that game is like Arkansas fans not knowing who uh, Rocky Kalmus and Roy Williams were, and just like marveling at OU's defense and how they were like. Uh, bottling up Matt Jones they kept going who is number 38 mm-hmm. and who is number 20 I, I, I just I, I love that in hindsight all of the Arkansas fans wearing <clears throat> camouflage of course they're Arkansas fans but like uh yeah it was uh yeah it was a fun date it was a fun game that day my dad had a he brought hot damn into the stadium that mm. day it was like 15 degrees in the cotton bowl and it ended up being passed around the entire like Arkansas section or something. Fantastic. It was pretty hilarious, but uh, gotta gotta love a hot damn on a cold football game day. But uh, yeah, have you ever been? Did you go to that game by chance? I watched it okay. from the warmth of my living room. If you ever went to the Cotton Bowl, like the game itself, before it moved to Jerry World, sorry, it uh, it is very eerie to be inside the fair for a game when the fair is not going on <laughs> it is creepy it's like dead i'm, I'm telling yeah like the uh the gun swings are just kind of like they're in place and not going around or anything mm-hmm. like that none of the rides are going on no one's at the corn dog stands hmm. it's like a ghost town it's it was That's pretty weird. odd I'm, I'm glad it's not a thing anymore i'm glad that the cotton bowl game itself is now being played at cherry world because that I is agree. uh it it was a very strange event, and it's always cold as shit in Dallas on New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. So it's better to play it indoors. But I agree. Yeah, yeah, that would be really strange, especially like being a Sooners fan and going there for OU Texas every year. It's hot as hell, and everything's alive. And then you go down there for a bowl game, and it's just like dead cold, gloomy. And then you have to play Arkansas and yada yeah. yada. So yeah. that's pretty interesting. I mean, it was a situation where it was a no-win situation for OU. They weren't really getting up for that game, but apparently the OU defense did get up for that game because yeah, they real. were they were possessed. It was one of the best defensive performances I've ever seen. 
Yeah, I think, I think the granted, game Matt Jones fumble. freshman, but I mean that was the year that Matt Jones went to uh, seven overtimes with Ole Miss. I mean he That's was right. he was a freak athlete. No, you just he had no answer for both these defenders. So you had too much sideline to sideline speed on that team. Yep. There was uh, nothing going on for Arkansas that day. Yeah, definitely. And so let's transition over to some recruiting because there is a big recruiting update. Lincoln Riley has been Lincoln Riley and staff. So you have to credit everything that that recruiting staff is doing, everything they're with their graphic department, everything that they are able to do in virtually recruiting kids during a pandemic because they cannot get kids on the campus because nobody's hosting kids. One of the many situations in which you were very grateful that Lincoln Riley is here right now instead of the Stoops era. Yeah, because – Because, because I don't, how, how well would Bob have, yeah. have adjusted to this situation? Obviously, he would he have would. Been helping him out a little bit, but Lincoln, he has firsthand knowledge of all this stuff. So, yeah. I mean, he's able to sort of spearhead all of it himself. Like, so. I know Lincoln Riley has control of his account most of the time. Yeah. Whereas Bob, it was an assistant. He never dealt with that. Yeah. And I know, I'm sure Bob would have done some things, but I don't think he would have gone to the extent of what Lincoln Riley and all yeah. those dudes are doing right now. It's it's incredible. And you got a recent commitment out of Florida, Danny Stutzman. He Currently plays outside linebacker uh, for them over uh, – I forget what high school it is in Florida, but it's like a private school. He's the guy that really stands out uh, at that 6'3". But they're going to play him, from what I understand, uh, at inside linebacker. He's a three-star kid, but, you know, they really like him. Uh, Coach Odom really likes – they like his IQ. They like the, his length. They like his explosion. Um, not enough to be a rush end or anything, I guess. They wanted to play him at inside line, inside linebacker with his IQ. And um, he's some he's a guy that they're not just taking him as filler for the class. He's a guy that they're not just taking because they burnt out on all the other prospects. He's a guy that they really believe has some pretty high upside. And Oklahoma, year in and year out, are one of the best evaluators of talent uh, in the country and definitely in the conference that – they can evaluate talent and really coach these guys up. I mean, you look at one year of what Brian Odom was able to do with Kenneth Murray, and you can imagine what three years with Brian Odom and would have done Kenneth Murray. I, I, yeah, I've, I've thought about that a lot. I think he might be, if not one of the best, if not the best linebackers in school history, he'd be one of them. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's incredible. He's, he's already sort of in that <laughs> conversation, but obviously he only had one season to truly thrive. But yeah. I mean, he, he'd be in the conversation, uh, you know, with the Boz and with Rocky Calmus and with Teddy. He's Lane just so like athletic. He's so fast. He, yeah. at, times he, at times he was the only linebacker in the middle of the field, just covering it from left to right just by himself and still making plays. It's just unbelievable, his talent. And this guy is Stutzman. Now, is he as explosive as a player? No. But does he like to hit dudes? Yes. You look at his tape. He is an explosive first step. He's a high IQ guy, long arms, long reach, and he likes to hit hard. Um, he's not the athlete that Kenneth Murray is, but he's you he, are. He's think think more Ryan Reynolds than anything yeah. else. Um, but Oklahoma, they want to take two to three inside linebackers in this class, from what I understand, especially with that David Aguebu. That experiment is something that they're going to move on from. Good. <laughs> he's going to be playing outside 
Rush and I, I the, did not. I, I understood from a depth perspective yeah. why they were tinkering with that, but from a natural fit standpoint, I mean, you can't even you you can't rationalize. Yeah, that. it doesn't make doesn't make a lot of sense. So, if I had to guess right now, what the linebackers looked like from day one uh, with a rush end and your two inside linebackers. You would probably have Benito slash Aguebu and maybe throw John Michael Terry somewhere in there. And oh, if they, he's healthy, John Michael Terry is right in that conversation. He was yeah. kicking ass before he got hurt. Yeah, Aguebu, he's just he's just he has such a higher ceiling than yeah. any of those dudes. And then yeah. you look at the inside linebackers. You got Deshaun White, who Brian Odom was marveling at before Kenneth Murray season took place. That he's the most instinctual linebacker he's ever coached in his life, which is pretty. Pretty high praise from Brian Odom. And then you've got, you know, right now with COVID-19 striking everything, whereas I think you might have, if you had a spring and if you had a summer with dudes like Brian Asmoa, Shane, uh, Shane Witter, who they are also very, very high on, uh, those guys, especially Brian Asmoa, he might actually have a chance here to start. But I think your inside linebackers at the Will and the Mike are going to be um, I guess the Will and Sam, you, you, they're based, technically both inside linebackers, yeah. but they have s- separate jobs sometimes. But you're looking at Sean White at the Will, and Mike will look likely be Caleb Kelly. So I'm really interested in seeing how that takes place and as the season transpires, how that might change as practice gets more reps with dudes like Shane Witter, Brian Asamoah, and David Aguebu and stuff like that. So – that's really interesting. Uh, that's a good commitment, and they're doing things really, really well on that side. Danny Stutzman, apparently like 10 minutes after his virtual virtual visit, committed to OU, and they held that for like a week and didn't, didn't do anything, didn't say anything. But a little more serious is the Series 3 in which two of the three members of the Series 3, um, the Williams, Williams kids, Caleb Williams and uh, Mario Williams, both five stars now. Um, and then you have Christian Leary, who his commitment date is set to June 6th. You've got a big boomer, which would be uh, Bryce Foster, who's a five star. You've got a running back who would be that is leaning really sooners, but Texas is in the mix and SMU's in the mix. Kamar Wheaton, he is a five star. You've got a lot of guys that really. Good from Union, too. The, yeah, the kid from Union. And He's a burner, too. Oh, man. A.J. Green. Uh, man, they've got a lot of dudes that are really on the cusp. So, like, talking about the Series 3, the big boomers and whatever, oh, you could have as many as five five stars in the class. Definitely at least four uh, because um, as soon as Caleb Williams came out with his top three, which were LSU, Maryland, and University of Oklahoma, Nussmeyer, he commits to LSU the same day. But, you know, I know LSU wants to take two QBs in the class. But today he actually just dropped that to attack of Viola's brother is now trending to Maryland. And uh, from what yeah. I understand, Maryland's not taking two quarterbacks in this. And in the uh, – oh, who's the coach over at Maryland? He Mike was Loxley. Loxley. Loxley's an incredible recruiter. He's an incredible – Yeah, and he, he's someone who has worked with Tua before, so that's a yeah. natural fit with his younger brothers. Yeah, so. He's, so that, that's what I'm sense. saying. And so, I mean, 
I mean, from if I if I understand correctly, if Maryland's not taking two quarterbacks, I, I, and I've said this so many times, it should be pretty clear what's happening here. Now, will o, can OU like relax on Caleb Williams? No, he's the number three player in like all of college football right now. They rated him number three, still number one quarterback, five star kid. Uh, you can't relax on him. But at the same time, if I'm telling you he's secretly, secretly in quotes, recruiting for several others, Sooners, possible future Sooners, uh, that should mean really good news. He's on a conference call weekly with Lincoln Riley, like breaking down film on what they do in the offense and what they can do to be successful. And so, like, I think it's just, it's just good news here. And, and Caleb Williams is recruiting really, really hard just as much as Lincoln Riley is. And when you've got a catalyst, because, like, Remember when I think it was Sooner Squad nineteen, uh, Justin Broyles was like one of the one of the mouthpieces for OU recruiting other guys 17. to get out there. Or was it seventeen? Dude, yeah, it's been Broyles was so long. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, Rattler gets on. Rattler eventually gets on. He starts recruiting guys, and you know, once you get that one integral piece, like the number three Those player, dominoes in the nation, begin to fall after it's that. It's like, gosh, so. The first, the next commit OU gets uh, that isn't a surprise will be June sixth. I just mentioned that date not far long ago in this podcast. Um, but LSU, I, I don't feel like they're. I just don't think they're going to be able to get Caleb Williams. Yeah. Now, Caleb Williams, Kendall Daniel, guy. I mean, the Nussmeyer yeah. guy is a talented kid. I mean, he's good. Found their quarterback for the class. They're not going to pull a Tom Herman and take both Cam Rising and uh, what's-his-face, uh, Casey Thompson. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty rare. That, that didn't work out for anyone. So. Who knows? I mean, all, all the guys that are pretty down to it that talk a lot, like Caleb Williams, he's always retweeting, of course, Mario Williams and Christian Leary and Kendall Daniels, and they all have LSU in their finals, but none of them have Maryland in their finals, and these are guys that you know do want to do things, and – some of them have Clemson, but not all of them have Clemson. So look for the common denominator, people. Look for the common denominator. It's so there. Basically, what you're obvious. saying is that a bunch of Tennessee Twitter warriors about to eat their words. Oh man, I mean, orange I warriors, don't, as they were saying. I I don't. Forty thousand orange warriors coming to Norman. I, I How just does someone don't get it. tweet that with a straight face? I don't get it. What orange am, warriors? Like, one that sounds like favorite, something an Oklahoma State fan would say. One of my favorite. They'd have a very serious look on their face. It wouldn't be yeah, ironic at all. They'd just you're be right. saying that at face value. One of my favorite Twitter follows for Tennessee is the Drunk Vol fan. Oh, yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. and I, I like Tennessee fans. I really yeah. do. They're, they're one of my favorite fan bases, actually. I went there in 2015 for mm. that game, and they were uh, very hospitable. Yeah, really fun fans, knowledgeable fans. Amazing. Out in the Smokies. Yeah, beautiful area, obviously. The campus is kind of – it's not as pretty as you would think it is. Mm-hmm. Campus is kind of kind of bleh. But uh, their tailgating situation was pretty cool. Obviously, the whole thing was pretty great but with all the <clears throat> yachts and stuff. But definitely cool. So, I mean, it's just people need to – for some people are just like really, really, really unsure about like because I mentioned today it's like oh you can have four five star commitments by July fourth 
and people are really gun shy. Like, well, it's COVID nineteen, and that they could they could commit, but they could just easily add just as decommit. I'm like, yes, that's college football. That's that's that's, that's the case, no matter what. That's how recruiting works. Yeah. Um, but you know, Oklahoma, as of now, as I see it, like you look at all the guys they're in on, you look at all the guys that are really trending that direction, and you look at all the guys that want to play football together at OU. OU is more likely to have a top five class than they are a 10 to 13 class. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what, if you end up with three or four five stars, that alone yeah. is putting you in the conversation to be top five, five stars weigh a lot in the recruiting rankings. They do perhaps and, more than they should, but they definitely I, weigh a lot. I think these five stars for Lincoln Riley, because like you look at Bob Stoops and his five star history, and it wasn't that great. Like honestly, what five stars panned out besides Joe Mixon? Well, I mean, yeah, early two thousands you had some guys, but like like Tommy like, Harris, guys like Adrian that, Peterson, like, Tommy Harris, Peterson, GK, yeah, you, but a lot really didn't. Like the uh, I'm trying to think the the two thousand eight class comes to mind. You had Jeremy Calhoun. You had R.J. Washington. Brandon Williams. You had uh, Stephen Good. Yeah. Was in the 2007 class. Stephen Good ended up, you know, being a contributor. He's all right. And R.J. Washington ended up being a contributor by a senior year. Neither of them panned out to be like yeah. big NFL guys. Which, if you're if you're a five star, basically yeah. that's a projection of eventually you're going to go in the first three rounds. Trey Matwire. He who must not be named, Trey Matwire. Good grief. Just a lot of five stars that never panned out for Stoops. Yeah. And I think the five stars that Lincoln Riley's getting on campus, you could say all three of those guys are going to be big-time playmakers, and they've already flashed that ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really exciting. And, and Caleb Williams' relationship with Lincoln Riley, it means a ton. It, it means – I mean, like, they're not just, like, texting every day. These dudes are legitimately, like, having, like – He's not only having a red shirt year like Spencer Rattler is because they did he did the same thing with Rattler. <laughs> Lincoln Riley developed a relationship with Rattler during his high school year. Rattler would call in and they would literally go over plays and schemes during his high school years at a, a Pinnacle. Uh, Pinnacle, thank you, in Arizona. And so they had a year of film study, and then he's got a year of sitting out in in the actual game like room and preparation. So by that time, you've got a year of film study, you've got a year of actual experience, and now you're going into your third year of Lincoln Riley-isms. And so to suspect that Spencer Rattler won't be successful and to suspect that a guy that's like Caleb Williams, which is like Justin Fields-ish, gives, he gives me a lot of Justin Fields vibes with a better arm, it's incredible. And that, that relationship will go a long way. And I'm not worried about the offense ever at all under Lincoln Riley. He's given me no he's he's given me no reason not to trust his decision making other than a squib kick. Other than that, I'm pretty chill. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the things that were questionable early in his tenure as the offensive coordinator have sort of gone away. He's figured things out. He's yeah. He's evolved. I mean, he's maturing. I remember. I mean, people were qu- early on questioning his run pass ratio yeah. situation and sometimes abandoning and, and, the run. And, yeah, exactly. And and there was good reason for that early on, but then in, I remember the, uh, the Houston game in 2016 mm. when they got behind a little bit, they completely abandoned the run, which they probably should not have done in hindsight, obviously. But, uh, and he hasn't really done that since when they've gotten behind, he's, he's trusted the run game knowing that it can work, but uh, you know, in there, you know, I haven't really, 
had much issue with his play calling since then. He got a little too cute in 2017. And since then, he hasn't really done that. Yeah. He and learns from his mistakes. That, yeah. That's what separates him <clears throat> from his predecessor. He's quicker to learn from his mistakes, I think. That's fair. So, like, I, think, I just think people need to trust Lincoln Riley. He's I, not I, sending, I trust him. He's not much. sending out any other quarterback offers. That should tell you something. He meets with Caleb Williams weekly. That should tell you something. A lot of dudes that, like, <laughs> and it's just like, how can you not see the writing on the wall? But, hey, whatever. Grinch is now, just by looking at things, Grinch is now getting his bodies into the program. I mean, the average height for defenders in this current class, across the board, I'm not talking about defensive linemen. I'm just talking about, in general, the average height, six foot four of all players. Nice. With, between Downs, Muke, Stutzman, uh, you know, you got two okay preps kids there. Uh, Kendall Daniels is trending in the right direction for OU, and that would be, you know, that 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 length factor would still be there, and several others. And what would what would this transformation mean for the defense? Big picture, do you think for getting these longer, more athletic bodies in for Alex Grinch? I think length and athleticism is probably going to result in more turnovers, don't you think? I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I mean yeah, some I mean, of that comes down to luck a little bit. Some of it comes down to just simply playing sound defense. Yeah, but if I mean, you, like it stands to reason that if you have more length and athleticism on your roster, you're going to force more turnovers. So that sort of brings Alex Grinch's vision into fruition, I guess you could say. Yeah, you get you got the turnovers. Uh, you've got the idea that. You know, you may not be a speedster. You may not run a 4-3 like Trey Brown, but... You're going to have far fewer matchup nightmares, I will say that. Because, I mean, you saw OU against Texas in 2018 against Texas's receivers. OU's defensive backs were physically incapable of hanging with Texas's receivers. Yeah. The defensive backs that Alex Grinch is recruiting right now, that's not going to be the case. If you're 6-2 and have length, you can at least sort of hold your own with a Colin Johnson or a little Jordan Humphrey. Yeah, you just need to look at, I mean, like really look at Clemson, look at Ohio State, look at Alabama, look at the defensive backs. They are not the fastest dudes, but they're mm-hmm. very big. Yeah. And it's tough to, it's, A, it's tough to throw over them, first of all. B, these dudes are bigger in nature. They are not five foot nine. They're not six foot one seventy five. These dudes are six three one ninety. So these guys are more able to get their hands on you earlier. They're able to disrupt timing routes. They're able to put their arms um, into passing lanes a lot easier. Um, and they, there's just a lot of things that go in there. And then of course for run support, uh, there's not a lot of spinning. You know, if you're a five foot nine corner or a nickelback, you know you can get a you can get kind of lit up by a by a tight end and maybe even pass out on the field. Uh, but if you've got a nickelback that's six foot three, two twenty, and can run a four five, well, now you've got issues. Are on we talking offense. about Justin Harrington by chance? Yeah, you're talking about Justin Harrington, and honestly, you could talk, you could you could say that about Bryson Washington. Several of the guys that yeah. are coming into campus now. It's it's really impressive what Grinch is doing and getting his bodies into the program because. I mean, when it came down to it for this past year, before Alex Grinch, people knew two names. They knew Alex Grinch. They knew Pete Golding at Alabama. They in oh, the, the the word was Alex Grinch was the guy OU wanted in the first place, but he went to Ohio State. 
So then they had Golding, and and really both Alex Grinch and Golding did the same exact things in their first institutions that made them famous in general. Um, Pete Golding did this at UTSA, which made him a namesake. Alex Grinch started to do this at Washington State. They're getting bigger defensive backs because it turns out, yeah, speed works, but when you're operating with elite wide receivers, elite wide receivers are not five foot nine, five foot ten. Nope. They are CD land. And if they are, they're operating out in space and <clears throat> it's a completely different animal. They're they're they are CD Lamb. They are six foot two, six foot three dudes with speed and dudes yeah. that are physical. Okay. Uh now now will you get a Hollywood Brown that's gonna bust the top of a defense? Yeah, will he cause issues? Definitely. Uh but these they started bolstering their defense up with bigger bodies in the secondary and even slimmer bodies in, in, into the defensive line to disrupt the pocket, disrupt the quarterback, and force them into bad Changing throws. the bodies of guys who were already on campus, guys like <laughs> Neville Gallimore, and it yep. obviously benefited Neville Gallimore immensely. He went the third round of the NFL draft. Yeah, it's, it's – It might it's, not have been the case if he had stayed under the previous regime. So Alex Grinch worked wonders for Neville Gallimore for sure. And for the future, they're going to need guys like, you know, Ronnie Perkins. Like you just said, Neville Gallimore is a good start. They're going to need yeah. Ronnie Perkins. They're going to need dudes course, like yeah. Jalen Redmond to really have good years because right now, Oklahoma, what they're having to do on defense, because on, on offense, you're never worried about offensive record, recruiting. You're never really, really worried about the offense in general. For defense, you know you can recruit defensive ends, the guys that like to rush after the passer, and you know they can recruit some pretty okay safeties. And that you, you're not getting the elite defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen, and you're not getting the elite big cornerbacks. Now, you might get some really sweet dudes from modern day. You might get some really sweet guys from St. Thomas Aquinas that are like five foot ten, but that's not what Alex Grinch is after. He's after big defensive backs, uh, big, lengthy linebackers and more slender, flat-bellied defensive linemen that disrupt the backfield. And right now, OU's going to have to do work in the, in the NFL draft over the next couple of years, like Ronnie Perkins, like Jalen Redmond, and like Shane Witter, and like Brian Asamoah and Deshaun White, and guys like uh, you know Trey Norwood, and seeing what they can turn them into uh, to get these legitimate big and dominant cornerbacks and defensive linemen until then they're going to be operating off their highest ability to scout. Now it, Alex Grinch did apparently really well with Mike Stoops players in one year. So I'm really just really curious to see what that will look like in the future. Come Alex Grinch getting all of his players in a line after three years, maybe four years, but Regarding Stutzman, I thought this was interesting. Stutzman had been committed to OU for a week, and I, I had known Danny Stutzman was going to commit. I was just lazy. Like, I think I mentioned to you, you're like, yeah, like, you know, you commit posts like, oh, no, I thought he was like, I was like, I was, like, was going to write that today. Who commits on a Monday morning? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, you texted that to me. <laughs> and I was just we don't like, have to work today i'll get to it later yeah I it ended like, up being fine because i mean it's you know it, it doesn't take that long to write up yeah, a commitment no. post, but. i was just like dang it who, who does this on a monday morning i was about to get i was gonna do <laughs> that real, today yeah. and but us. you know but it was known that stutzman was committed to ou and he had done it for like a week and there were no eyeball emojis and 
Do you think that Lincoln Riley has been burned one too many times on the eyeballs and now he might be done with it? It's something to think about, but I mean, off the top of my head, these times when which he's been burned are times when he is tweeting an eyeball right when he gets a silent commitment, regardless of when that official announcement is made. It's, I mean, obviously I'm not in his shoes. I'm not paid the big bucks. Wouldn't, but wouldn't it make more sense to tweet out these eyes right before the announcement happens, as opposed to when yeah, I'm thinking silent commitment. That seems a little more reasonable because you, you, you could have a major burn situation on your hands. Yeah, gosh. You, you could, could have, have a DB this, situation from last year. You could have this year, more man. recent situation on oh, the yeah. hands of the Ohio Nine. State when yep. you get burned. I mean, it's <clears throat> why not just wait until – because obviously when you're a coach, there's communication between you and the prospect on when the commitment announcement is happening. So why not just – tweet out these eyeballs, say, 30 minutes before the commitment announcement happens. I agree. I agree with that. That that seems reasonable. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, Then again, I'm not in his position, so I don't know. He knows better than I do. But that that seems like something that would would work. I don't know. I think it's fair. I think it builds momentum. So I think think you're right. Of course, I, I love the eyeballs in some capacity. Yeah. I think you should use them, but I mean, maybe... Because as soon as people, because people have a lot of the notifications on for Lincoln Riley, and if it's not something sooner, and you just see a pair of eyeballs, like oh crap, we're all in a frenzy, you know, people like and typically, you know, I've already told you who the commitment is or something like that, but it's just like Twitter's like oh what's happening? That's so cool and stuff. It just makes it more interactive. But yeah, I agree. I agree with that statement that like maybe you should do it, maybe like an hour, thirty minutes before the commitment instead of like weeks out. But we're stuck with. some definite eyeballs that are still lurking around that will be definitely uh, due in June and July. So it'd be really, really intriguing, but we are going to go to a break after the break. We have some of your questions from Twitter. Uh, We do have some interesting stuff to talk about regarding football in the fall, which looks like it's going to happen. Thank the some capacity, whether it's with some capacity. That's right. Yeah. That's so correct. And we've, We've got a beef with Tennessee for some reason that I don't understand <laughs> and Arkansas basketball and merger Hornets. And I, dude, just... I, on that note, I cannot wait for that series with Arkansas. My Same. dad's an Arkansas grad. All his family's Arkansas people. Arkansas fans love basketball when they have mm-hmm. a reason to love basketball. And right now they like their coach Musselman. They're, they're going to roll out to this game if they mm-hmm. allow fans. In yeah. the BOK, in the Tulsa region. Is that BOK? Yeah, there's A, there's a lot of Arkansas fans in Tulsa. And B, that's really not far from Fayetteville. Or yep. That's, I mean, in Fayetteville, northwest Arkansas and those towns like Bentonville and uh, – In the fort. and Yeah, and the, well, the fort too. Yeah, the fort's not too far from uh, Tulsa either. And then Springdale, like, I mean, that's become like a major population hub in western Arkansas. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're – the Tulsa they kids committing Arkansas. I mean, they care so much for about yeah. basketball. The you see, care about basketball yearly. You see Tulsa Union and Booker T. Washington players committing to Arkansas yeah. regularly. Yeah, it's not a coincidence, people. There, I mean, and there's a lot of kids who grow up in Tulsa and go to those schools who go to school at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of Tulsa kids at the University <laughs> of Arkansas. But 
All to be said, we will get to all this right after the break. We'll check you guys back in a second. All right, so some Twitter questions, Jack, from Sco. We've got two. He says, what do you think the 2020 college football season will ultimately look like as planned? Maybe a delayed start? Shortened schedule? Canceled outright. What do you think? Not canceled outright because, put simply, they cannot afford to do that. They yes. cannot afford to forfeit television revenue. Mm-hmm. That will not happen. What I think you will see is a delayed start just because they're going to be delayed on when they can get students on campus mm-hmm. and get them working out, get them in shape. I think that's one of the big hurdles. And then as far as fans and stuff like that, I think at least the first month or so, you're probably not going to have fans or at least limited fans. Mm-hmm. Then again, who the fuck knows what the state is going to exactly. be a month or two months or three months. So, like, the, I'm just shooting the shit right now. Obviously. Yeah, like, yeah, no, you're right. About this right now is just shooting the shit. Because the NBA, they even said no fans definitely for the playoffs when they will eventually start. It sounds like the NBA is going to start playoffs eventually. Can't wait. Can't wait. And they're not going to have fans. I, I didn't want this uh, – this Thunder team to have to yeah, end the season. Man, I wanted yeah. to watch this Thunder I want, team. I wanted to see him through. Even I if, was very proud to be a Thunder fan this season. It was, it was, it was I fun. Man. I, I'm a, I mean, if people doubted Billy Donovan before, they're not now. It's, it's Russell was the coach before Billy Donovan. It uh, always it now seems, Billy's actually the coach. It seems like a slight to Russell to say, like, See, it seems like a slight to Russell to say, man, watching this team is fun again. Because it hasn't been fun since the playoffs in 2016. This, I mean, this team, I mean, they're slotted at the five seed right now. <clears throat> Should have been the four. They, they, and they, they were going to beat the Jazz at night. They were going to beat the Jazz at night. And they were going to continue to trend up. They were so good in crunch time of games. Yeah, they were. They the were in, they, A, they were the in five. every game. Mm-hmm. And B, they were very good in crunch time. Yep. Chris Paul, he is – Helped his legacy so much with how he has played this year with the Thunder. Mm-hmm. A, and he's not even his, one of the top four scores oh, in that team. No, he's not. I mean, he but he is unquestionably the alpha of the team. Still. Court general. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, <clears throat> I I remember you know over the summer after all this stuff was going down with the trades and everyone was saying, "Oh, Chris Paul, how can I even root for Chris Paul?" Even though and they started he, playing. Yeah, and then they started <laughs> playing, and there was like, huh. I like this I mean, guy. This is, this is fun. It's nice to have an interview <laughs> after the game. <laughs> yeah, for real. Barry Trammell loves it. Uh, yeah. Oh, gosh. You can imagine. And, and friend of the pod, Brady Trantham, really appreciates it, too. Yeah. But it's just, you know, in the NBA, they mentioned not even having fans even next year up until there, unless there's a virus. Uh, not a virus, but unless there's a vaccine for the virus. Yeah. And so – um. We've got some other material about this question, um, so I'm just going to leave it at that, and we'll talk about that a little bit more regarding Mark Emmert, who've got you know conference commissioners and President Harrow's of OU. Um, but let's go to Sco's next question, which was, "What's your favorite Simpsons episode, and what prediction by the Simpsons do you hope comes true next?" What do you do? You have a favorite Simpsons episode? Oh, I mean, the one where they cut off the head of Jebediah Springfield's a good one. That's a classic. It's good. The one where <laughs> This wasn't the main plot of the episode, but I loved they were calling uh, – someone was prank calling Mo at the bar and was saying, hey, we know what you're up to. 
Like, and they didn't know what he was actually doing. And he runs down to the basement of Moe's Tavern, and they have a killer whale down in the basement. And he's like, get it out of here. Get it out of here. All right, we're there on to us. That was one of my favorite Simpsons moments ever. But, like, uh, I'm trying to think of my favorite episode. Um, Hmm. My favorite episode I mean, is... It's hard to pick one. Yeah. My, my favorite episode is Homer Simpson. One of them was... His middle initial was J, but growing up, he never really knew what his middle name was. It was just Homer yeah. J. Simpson. And so, like, the, you spend the entire episode trying to figure out what this guy's middle name is. It's, like, written on a wall somewhere behind a dumpster. And it's just... It, the, literally, his middle name is J. J-A-Y. Homer J. Simpson. That was probably my favorite episode. It was just so anticlimactic and the most Simpsons thing ever. I don't, okay. I don't have a now that I remember, one of my favorites was uh, the time they were they were citizens of Springfield, including Homer, were going up to Canada to get cheap drugs, like pharmaceuticals, and bringing them back to the United yeah. States. And Flanders meets his Canadian counterpart, and they're like, you know, hitting it off and. Uh, his Canadian car- counterpart's like, hey, you want to smoke a Reeferino? And uh, Flanders is like, I knew the devil would come attractive. <laughs> That's so that funny. Really good. Ned Flanders, underrated character. Oh, God, yeah. So underrated. Uh, Daryl from the Just Okay Boys says, well, what has been your favorite part of this quarantine season? Are there any coaches still on staff that could be on the hot seat if players don't produce or recruiting isn't at a high level. What do you think? Well, Jay Bolwer's gone. So. Yeah, Jay Bolwer's gone. Immediately after the uh, national semifinal, Lincoln Riley held a big old meeting in that office and basically told them, if you're not with it and if you're not dedicated 100%, you need to get out. And Jay Bolwer said, which and now he's at texas so yeah now offense has zero question marks defense has mostly zero question i think there's only one person you can think of right because everybody else is new on defense yeah tibbs and tibbs Tibbs. has done well lately but apparently he and grinch have kind of butted heads a little bit Mm -hmm. we'll see i I hope it works out because i mean obviously lately it's been working out for Tibbs. i don't i don't think there's anybody on the hot seat i don't think anyone is truly on the hot seat I don't think so at all. Have to over the next, you know, three or four years keep keep an eye on the Tim situation. But I would agree with that. Right now, it's not a red alert. This one from at Swank Bowser. That's a that's a good at Swank Bowser. Yeah, like Bowser from. Oh no, that's Bowser with a Z. So it's not Bowser from uh, Mario. I don't know. But he Uh, says. Texas has a decent percentage of players in a more centralized area that can host player-led workouts compared to OU, who recruits more nationally. What's your thoughts on how this could affect teams like Texas and LSU this year that have the advantage of teams over, like, Oklahoma? That's a really good question. Really I think thoughtful but, question. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a thoughtful question, but it, you got to imagine um, <clears throat> these guys can't be in groups of more than whatever – um, and just in the, yeah, they're practicing together, um, at, at limited facilities. And so like, I think you'll see a difference in not camaraderie, but what's the word I'm looking for? 
continuity of the yeah. players they're playing with. I think you'll see a definite trend as far as like how familiar they are with the with their colleagues and with their with their friends and with each other. Um, but uh, training wise, I'm not concerned at all. Uh, I mean, these guys they're getting all of these materials from different spots. But like you said, yeah, I mean it. It is a little concerning that you know Texas and LSU they get a lot of their players from in home like Ohio State they get a lot of players from Ohio, yeah. Florida they literally have just the state of they, Florida. Florida does not have to leave its home yeah. at all. So I think they might have an advantage of group and team workouts, but it's not like it's a massive team workout. It's like pockets of guys here and there, and you know I don't even, I don't even know how many guys for OU are even in Oklahoma right now. But then you see all the workouts that like everybody is posting and you like you see all these oh you guys getting a ton of work in um but they so they're not going to come to campus like fat and lazy i'm sure there will be some i'm sure there'll be some but you're not gonna well, have the camaraderie whip them into shape yeah time. it'll take a few weeks but but yeah i think that's a, i think that's a legitimate concern that you know, they that these Texas players can hold player-led workouts yeah. in, in comparison to OU guys that have to rely on Texas and California and Florida. And now they're looking at the DMZ area over on the East Coast. Like, yeah, they're definitely national DMV. right now. DMV, not DM. Yeah. Did I say DMZ? Yeah, you said DMZ. Wow. Uh, but, uh, yeah, looking at that area over in Maryland and on the East Coast. So, yeah, I would agree. That's, that's a definite concern with that so yeah with camaraderie 100 percent. with being in shape not so much a concern sunshine dropped in this comment it's not really a question just a comment you mentioned i mentioned football probably most likely happening in the fall and he said he's he'd be glad to have football but lawsuits would definitely come because somebody would try to somebody would get sick and then maybe try to cash in do you see that as a possibility say that again that let's say let's say there is football in the fall and players they go play football of course and they get sick and something serious happens like a death or whatever um do you think that some a lawsuit could come about this or do you think there will be things put in place to ensure that it's voluntary in air quotes, voluntary that they come back and play. Ooh, that's tough to say. I think the bigger, more concerning than a lawsuit would be is the public relations aspect of that. Mm. You saw what happened to Maryland when a mm. player died. You saw what happened with in the early 2000s when a player at Florida State died. Florida State went on like a seven-year mm run of not being nationally relevant after that in the 2000s. I mean, when people don't trust the uh, health situation or the trainer situation or the yeah. medical situation at an individual place or within a league, it's, it's, it's very damaging. Yeah. So it's, I, I think uh, from a PR perspective, it would be much worse than it would be from a legal standpoint. I think obviously that would come into play and some money would be at play there. But I think the uh, reputation angle would be the uh, closer thing to follow there. If some, if something happened to someone on a team, they would probably cancel some games and put the season on hold for a while, you would think. 
I think they would. So, or think if it's some, a- or even if someone contracted it, or even if a lot of players contracted it, it would, yeah. you know. And Dr. Fauci apparently came out today and said football is a, a really good way to spread this virus fast. So I was yeah, like, I mean, human contact. I don't know. I mean, yes, yeah. <clears throat> but Oklahoma, they got an, a new president of the university in Joe Harris. Uh, he was the dean of the College of Law, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. he was. I thought. I thought he was going to be selected before they hired Gallagher. Gallagher was out of left field for me. Yeah, Gallagher and- was essentially <laughs> brought in just to clean up the books and get mm-hmm. out. Yeah, and, and he got he, out a little bit early. He was not someone who was fit to lead a large public university in the in our era. I agree. He didn't really have a good feel for that, and all the pitfalls that are there he uh he was not suited for the position long term shall we say so um, what can a president like joe harrow's what what what, is, what can a new president do for the institution and the community well for one thing i think it you're one of the biggest things i mean you're a figurehead from a public relations standpoint the biggest thing is do not embarrass the university on a national stage. That's the, that's the biggest thing in 2020, honestly. Don't embarrass the university on a national stage. Yeah, that's fair. See that on a large scale elsewhere. But honestly, now that I don't attend the University of Oklahoma, there are two things that are my priority for university president. One, like I just said, do not embarrass the university on a national stage. Two, do right by Lincoln Riley. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who prioritizes football. He knows what the deal is. Yep. He knows what the university's biggest cash cow is. Because, I mean, it, it's not only a giant revenue generator for the university. When the football program is doing well, enrollment goes up. Applications go up. Donations go up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, he understands how essential it is. So, so I'm, you know... I'm going to read you a series of tweets that happened in the, in, in, the way, in the way that they actually unraveled. Uh-huh. Um, one is by Steve Berkowitz. He said, NCAA President Mark Emmert says he cannot see sports restarting at schools that operating only with online classes. He and the NCAA's top medical officer says testing, tracing must dramatically improve, which it is, by the way. Yeah. Then... Brett McMurphy comes out. By the and way, says, follow Alan Kenny on that. He's a big oh, yeah. proponent of test and trace. I've I've followed that thing yeah. and I check on it. Oklahoma yeah. seems like in a pretty good spot. I mean, they're not ready for test and trace, but they're more ready than a lot of other states, which yeah. is actually pretty good. Which is surprising, frankly. Yeah, very surprising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought, oh, we're gonna be one of the last ones. And actually one of the we're not one of the ones ready for test and trace, but yeah. we're, well, the we're next getting step. there. Oh, good for us. There mm. we go. Yeah. Brett McMurphy, not long after the Steve Berkowitz tweet, says, Conference commissioners told stadium online-only academic institutions will not prevent student-athletes from returning to campus to play football this season, and also conferences likely would play this fall, even without all of their league members. And I thought that was intriguing. And then... Pretty tough to keep up the amateurism ruse when you're saying things like yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. These dudes are not amateurs. No. These dudes are like essential They're that employees. essential to the economy? I mean, fuck. <laughs> you're not they, exactly... The, the NCAA, uh, they are going to have a massive cash cow 
big elephant in the room on their hands after all this ordeal is over 100%. Not that they already don't right now. It's going to get even bigger. Uh, they're going to have a real big issue. And then Eric Bailey from the Tulsa world tweeted this out and is talking about just uh, president Harris says he said, football is a revenue sport. And he said they were working with Lincoln Riley, the big 12 commissioner and the NCAA. And there's a lot of ongoing conversations and Harrow says there's a deep desire to have football this fall, and the intention is to have it this fall. But there are so many specifics that go into this that are just now being worked through that there isn't clarity on how it will occur. It's being worked on in a very aggressive manner. So, like, everything that we've said is like, yeah, I think we'll have football. No fucking clue what it looks like. Yeah. But I think we'll have football. So here's what I think it'll look like. Here's what I think it'll look like. I think there will be college football in the fall, duh. I think you've got two options, maybe three. You've got what they intended originally for March Madness, as far as each teammate gets a certain amount of tickets of family members that can go and watch them in the game. So then, like, you might extend your roster to for people that be able to suit up from like 55 to like 90 or whatever yeah and then they get they all get 15 to 20 tickets so like now in a state of 82,000 you know you're looking if you got 990 and you got 20 you know now you're looking at a little 1800 people in the stands but still you know that's whatever you could do that uh you could have 30 percent stadium capacity um, and selling certain amount of tickets in the upper deck and certain amount of tickets in the lower deck to try to help flesh that out with ticket prices would skyrocket, like on the streets anyways. Yeah. Demand um, would be intense. Mm-hmm. And, or I could just see it realistically. I could see it with no fans. But regardless. I would imagine they would allow family, like, that's what I'm thinking. Family. That, I that think the most. Like I think the see. most often, or the most, and that's what the NCAA tournament was talking about before yeah. all that <clears> happened. <throat> and that, yeah, that seems reasonable. Do you see any other way that this could happen in the fall? Any other? I mean, I, I think it probably will happen in the fall. It's just not going to be in front of full crowds. Yeah, I, I think because I was thinking back, you know, that family thing, like, or maybe like, you know, you give each player thirty tickets. Yeah. And say disperse them however you want. You can give them to your friends. You can give them to. You, your you might not be able to give them thirty, but I, I bet you could at least give them ten tickets, like at least to yeah. bring their immediate family and stuff like that. Maybe so could be intriguing. Um, I there I'm I'm planning wholly planning on there being football in the fall, and yeah. um, it's just really interesting what it will look like because we have no idea. Like we said, we are literally just throwing shit on a canvas and seeing what sticks. We don't know. It's all speculation. We do not. We are living life literally. I mean, you week can to week. make the educated guess that there will be football just because of the monetary implications of them not playing yes. football. Yes. You can make that assumption. But beyond that, pretty tough. And it gets more difficult to see what what happens because as the summer months get here and things and more things are starting to open more and more and cases are starting to dwindle in certain states, but starting to rise in certain states. It's just like we don't know what we don't know what June looks like, and we're in the middle of May, so it's it's really hard to speculate on this stuff. It's just really tough. Um, 
Tennessee's really tough on Twitter. They uh, <laughs> only they, on Twitter. They they want to beef with OU because uh, it started with the recruiting rankings. They went Vince. on their little win streak last year in football with wins over you know Kentucky and Vanderbilt and the <clears throat> Indiana in the bowl game. You know, so now they're so dumb. But aren't yeah, they like number two the in the nation dynasty. for recruiting right now? Yeah, number I mean, two or four right now. And so. North Carolina is also in the top five. Mac, and then return Boston, of the Mac, return of the Mac. Boston baby. College got in on it, like, oh, we're at OU too. It's just like, mm, it's yeah, May wait. in the middle of a pandemic. Wait on it. <laughs> just wait. And Kansas had a top ten class in February of like 2017. All those whatever. Louisiana kids that got committed. Yeah, they said, yeah just commit, exactly. just commit, just commit. And hey, <laughs> to Kansas's credit, Huka Williams stuck. Yeah, he did. And he's really good. So there you go. It it did pay off in some way. Yeah, don't I don't get that with Tennessee. Like maybe three years down the road with Jeremy Pruitt, but not with those players. And no, that doesn't make any sense, dude. It doesn't. It, you don't. Who is that defensive lineman that was crushing Orlando Brown in 2015? <clears throat> trying to remember. That was a big for Tennessee. I, 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 yeah, I don't remember. He ended up playing with the. Game. He remember. And he ended up playing with Philly. I can't remember, but he was like a legitimate defensive lineman. And they don't have any of those guys right uh, now. Emmett Gooden's pretty good. Is he still there? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's not there anymore. I don't know. He might but, be. Was he a oh, shit? He might have been a senior last year. I guess he only had two years. He went to Independence, but big OU target back in the day. I'm not sure if he's still there. Staying on track with the SEC, like we talked about for the break, OU basketball series between the Sooners and Arkansas. In basketball, and I want it in football, but Me basketball is good. I want that so much. Like, I mean, people, people I ask okay. for it on Twitter, and people get angry at me. Like, what? Yeah, that's I, a I, great I, series. It would be really, they're like, oh, it's not a rival. <laughs> people, OU fans get way too bogged down in that thing. Like, just have fun with it. It's like, have you been to Tulsa? Like, yeah, it, it, there's plenty of Arkansas fans there, and like, they, people in Oklahoma City, People like us, people who we know don't quite understand how much people in eastern Oklahoma – there's a lot of Arkansas fans in eastern Oklahoma mm-hmm. and a lot, obviously, in western Arkansas. People like OU fans don't really – who live in central Oklahoma don't really come into contact with those people very much. But I tell you what, there are few fan bases that hate another fan base quite as much as Arkansas fans hate OU. Yeah. They they have a little rivalry in their heads. They hate OU. It, it it's wild. Like so I I would love that. I mean I would love a home and home. I'd love OU fans invading Razorback Stadium in Fayetteville because they would. There's yeah, so, there great. are a ton of OU fans in western Arkansas. Like, basically, Eastern Oklahoma, Western Arkansas is a big hodgepodge of OU fans and mm-hmm. Arkansas fans. There, I mean, it would it would be a lot of fun playing a game at Arkansas and just – I bet mm-hmm. there would be – that stadium seats about 75,000. <clears> if OU played there, I bet there would be at least 25,000, 30,000 30, OU fans. Yeah. It would be fantastic. It would be I, a I lot of fun. And – I watched that. And we get to go to Dixon Street, too. Dixon Street's yep. really fun. Ask Baker Mayfield. I watched a movie 
on Netflix. And it, it was after like, after watching it for like 20 minutes, I realized quickly that it was like from a Christian film company. Um, but it was about Brandon Burlesworth. Yeah. Um, the walk on movie. It Major was really badass. good. Yeah. And, uh, it was, I, I thought it was I mean, awesome. I mean, that was back like, when I was an Arkansas fan. Yeah. Like I kept on yeah. thinking about you telling me about how yeah. they went to Tennessee with T Martin and yeah. Yeah. The Clint Sterner pissed the game Clint away Sterner, by yeah he well the offensive lineman stepped on his him. foot and he fumbled the ball mm-hmm. and the, yeah Arkansas would have been I guess they would have been nine and zero after that game if they had won mm-hmm. at Tennessee so that's a good that's a good movie but yeah Zach Evans man Zach Evans had nowhere to go remember in the in the Under Armour All American game like Deion Sanders was like advocating for him live on TV and how awkward that was yes and then like he had no it was like Florida State, Florida, I don't know, Georgia, Georgia. Georgia yeah. I mean, he was, you know, he was signed with Georgia. Mm-hmm. And they just sort of very easily <laughs> let him out of his thing, you know, and they essentially nudged him out the door. And now he's with Gary Patterson. What does it say that Georgia is saying no to you and saying, hey, the number one running back in the country, nah, you can't come here. Like Kirby Smart. There are smart. <laughs> whether or not it's issues with his character, whether or not it's issues with his academics. We don't know the full story. We know some details. But the thing is, he's really fucking good. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic. If this works out for TCU, it's really going to work out for TCU. Yeah. I think if, Gar- if Gary Patterson can handle him. <clears throat> It's going to be really fun to watch. They might be fun to watch this year. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Max Duggan, he's not that accurate of a passer yet at this point in his career. He was a true freshman last year. Mm-hmm. He needs some polishing. But he's a really athletic quarterback. OU fans saw that last year. He can mm-hmm. move. An offense with him and Zach Evans in it. Could be fun. Could be very electric. And I'd Mark Jackson. Watching. Mark Jackson has a new outside linebacker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's a uh, graduate <clears throat> transfer. I hope he does well, but I think yep. he could do well too. So, I'm not a big baseball fan, but Korean baseball has made its way to ESPN, and I've watched it more than I've watched major leagues. Do you have any thoughts on Korean baseball? I haven't been able to watch it yet. I, I haven't been able to get away with you know watching TV at midnight in the living room. That's but, uh, fair. Yeah, it's uh I mean, otherwise I'd probably be trying to watch it if it's early enough. What like about if the... it's if it's happening at three AM and I'm not I'm not watching it, but what's at midnight? You know, maybe. And yeah. I mean it's it's a high level of baseball. I mean it's obviously not major league baseball, but there are a lot of really good players over there. Yeah. Guys who are eventually gonna play major league baseball. Some really good Korean ball players, and then you know some players from the states who have uh, maybe used to play in the major leagues. Sometimes go over to either Japan or Korea to play baseball. Like Traber. <laughs> that was the major I, leagues punk. I, I love love Yardbird. Love watching the video of him charging the mound in Japan. So dumb. There are few things more entertaining than watching. 280 pound Jim Traber with a mullet mm-hmm. charging a pitcher in Japan. It's fantastic. It is electric. <laughs> I love it. You seen these murder hornets? 
Yeah, I'm not. Apparently, they're not much of a threat to humans. Yeah, because the, they're not. They're not going to fuck with people. It's kind of like bees and wasps. Usually, they're not going to mess with people. I, I but, saw reports that people were hyping them up, and bees actually kill them. Bees gang up on they them. They do. Yeah. You see exactly. Like I mean, <clears throat> it might take a little period for the bees in the United States and Canada to adjust, but eventually they will. It'll mm-hmm. evolve to the point where they can fight these people off. But I saw a video of a guy that purposely future, stung yeah. himself with one. I saw that, and he was like, "It, it swole like fast, crazy, yeah, like screaming. really quickly, yeah." And this guy, he uh, he's on Animal Planet, I yeah. guess. He uh, he, like, he gets stung and bit on stung by purpose. like the worst uh, <clears throat> bugs and ants and stuff like that. And you know, and records he's, his he's had some bad ones. This was the worst one. Yeah, he was like, it, "Oh gosh, it sting it's is really bad." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like, I, I'm allergic to a lot of things. If mm-hmm. if this stung me, I don't want to find out if I'm allergic to it because mm-hmm. it would probably be curtains for old Jack if it stung me. But it probably a it probably will not make it to Oklahoma, and b even if it does make it to Oklahoma, it's probably not going to mess with me. So that's true. That's what it is. And and the bees will be able to fight it off. They'll adapt yeah. over time. It'll be fine. Thoughts on the MG documentary? Have you been watching it? Keeping up yeah, with it? See, I, I'm I watched seven last night. I didn't watch eight. Mm. So I know there's some stuff on uh Thunder Greats, Gary Payton, and Sean Kemp. <laughs> Gosh. I was a big Sean Kemp fan growing up. The dude yeah, could dunk. A dunker, man. He, he was a dunk. really good dunker, and the glove was great as also. So, Detlef Shrimp with was Shrimp was uh, with the uh, Sonics at that point too, mm-hmm. aka the uh, future Thunder. But I don't know. I was I'm trying to remember. Was that a four O series? Um, I didn't watch episode. No, I think eight. I think it was. I think it was five one. Five one or four one. Four one. My Four bad. one, yeah. Went to five games. I I remember I was I was driving to Canada with my dad when that series was going on, so I didn't get to watch it, but uh, I, see. I heard it on the radio. But but yeah, Imager documentary is good, man. Uh, oh, it's great. There are a lot in that last in episode seven, especially the end toward of the end when they're talking about yeah, oh. Jordan's talking about his reputation. A lot of parallels to Russell Westbrook and how he approaches the game. I I thought it was fascinating. I yeah. really did. <clears throat> and I love MJ, but obviously he does not have the reputation of being "quote unquote" a nice guy, right? Like uh, LeBron James, for instance. People mm-hmm. people like LeBron James. People who interact with LeBron like yeah. LeBron. He's a likable human being. He is. Uh, Michael Jordan, not so much, but true. Yeah, appara- I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad guy. He's just a competitor. Mean, he was prioritizing winning. Like the ultimate competitor. Still, he still to this day rubs people the wrong way because he approaches everyday life in this way. Yeah. He approaches a gambling his, problem. He, he, well, yeah, exactly. He approaches his uh, business dealings in this way. He typically rubs people the wrong way, but mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that deep down he's a bad person. I mean, right. I think you kind of got that impression of, when he got so emotional, when he was asked yeah. that question, he. I think he's just very intense. He's he, passionate. Yeah, he's very intense and passionate. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad person. So, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a guy who was born in '89. I grew up with the mm. '90s Bulls. I am what they would call a stan. 
for Michael Jordan. <laughs> so I don't know. I'll, I'm I'll ride with Michael Jordan, but any to close this one out. Any new movies that you've watched since the last time we talked? Movies, ooh, yeah. See, I for the first time, and this isn't necessarily a new movie. I think it came out in 2016. Have you seen Hell or High Water? With, have not. Uh, I heard about it with um, Jeff Bridges and Chris Pine. I've heard, but I've never watched it. It is fantastic. Okay, great movie. It's about you know, and Jeff Bridges plays this type of character perfectly. He was uh, there was Crazy Heart where he played a country musician who sort of had the same aesthetic and had the same attitude. And then he was Rooster Cogburn in the remake of True Grit. And it was sort of a similar persona. This is a old cop in a small Texas town and there's a bank robbery in his town and he's about to retire and he's going to get these guys before he retires. And it's really good. Chris Pine is one of the bank robbers. Hmm. Really good, good movie. Saw that recently. But, um, yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, trying to think of shows. I finished Ozark Heard recently. Heard great things. Really good. Um, trying to think. I watched the season of Outer Banks. Okay. Have you seen that? Mm-mm. Pretty good. It started out, like, I was skeptical at first because the first few episodes, it struck me as, like, this kind of teen drama kind of thing like the OC almost. And then it sort of evolved into something like Ozark. Hmm. It ended up being really, really good and it's well-reviewed. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a really good show too. Uh, another thing I've watched in quarantine, the society. Never heard of it. What is it on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Yeah. It's got one season and it was renewed immediately for a second season. When okay. it came out. Um, it's almost like a Lord of the Flies situation, but with high schoolers. Interesting. It is interesting, but and apparently it's based on the Pied Piper. Okay. Okay. It, it, it's very intriguing. It's basically a small town, and basically the senior class of high schoolers are the only people left in the town, and they have Ooh. to sort of get by and formulate their own society and government and stuff like that. And obviously that does not go well. Intriguing. It is definitely a show worth watching, I would say. Um trying to think of other stuff. Um oh Waco. I finished Waco last night. That's a fantastic series. Waco's good. Michael Shannon, I mean can you do better than Michael Shannon as God. an actor? Not so really. Good. So good. And uh Tim Riggins playing uh Tim Riggins David Koresh, bro. He did a really good he job did. as David Koresh. <clears throat> I was like this dude lost all that muscle and he became skinny and then played David Koresh really well. Really I was, well. I kept on thinking in the back of my mind, Texas forever. I was like, it was blowing my mind. I was like, ah, oh, this is Well, he already out. had the accent down. You knew that. But yeah. uh, Canadian Tim Riggins, Tim Riggins, who is actually from Canada, plays I didn't a know Texan, he was from Canada. Wow. Plays a He's Texan Texas. very well. Yeah, very, yeah, very does, well. Absolutely. Um, it's a great series. Yeah, it's it's – yeah it's only six episodes but i mean yeah it's it's a great cast a lot of people from boardwalk empire in it it's uh yeah a few people uh obviously michael shannon in boardwalk empire you ever watch mm-hmm. boardwalk empire mm-hmm. really good but um what else have i watched i've i've, I've watched a ton of stuff but um, yeah never I, have i yeah. ever really good okay what is it's that a, what is uh, that it's on netflix it's a 
I think Mindy Kaling is the executive producer. For like, okay. And it's a, uh, it's a high school girl. She's Indian American, mm-hmm. but it's narrated by John McEnroe. Interesting. It is very interesting. It, it's a, it's, it's a funny like high school drama kind of thing. Okay. It, it's, it's worth watching. But, I just um, have one thing to plug. Yeah. Train to Busan. Have you ever watched it? I have not. It's a Korean film. It's on Netflix. Think snakes on a plane. Okay. <laughs> I saw that in theaters when I was in <clears throat> high school, man. Think oh, snakes man. on a plane, but instead they're in Korea and there are, it's a zomb, a massive zombie outbreak. Okay. On a train that's moving. <clears throat> it's like one of those high speed trains. It's a pretty good movie. I okay. That was, was good. I, that sounds pretty good, actually. It's subtitled, but it's. I was. I watched it. My fiance. I, it's a thriller. It wasn't scary, but my fiance couldn't sleep till like six in the morning. So you tell me. But yeah, that's I, that's my only thing to plug. I went to the premiere of Snakes on a Plane. I'm not proud to admit that. Wow. I went to the pre- midnight premiere in high school of Snakes on a Plane with some high school friends, and apparently. Snakes on a Plane was like this internet sensation before it was even released. Basically, mm-hmm. fans were able to vote on lines for the movie and give input before it came out. Mm-hmm. So basically, I'm tired of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane was something that all of the fans on the internet knew about before the movie came yes. out. And so all of these parts of the movie... These, I guess, these Oklahoma City people who had been giving input and stuff like that were chanting the lines during the movie. And every time snakes would come out, the entire crowd would hiss. It was like a Rocky Horror Picture type of like live movie experience. Like, I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was one of the most wild movie going experiences of all time. I'll never forget that. Well. But, uh, man, anything else? I think we've covered pretty much everything, Kamiar. I think we're good, man. But I think we're good. Hey, everybody. Well, thanks for listening, especially during a quarantine and where yeah. our, our, our lives are actually starting to somewhat go back to normal for some of us or what we call normal. We're starting to trend in a different direction. But thanks for hanging with us and listening to us while all this stuff is going on really appreciate for all you guys that are loyal followers and listeners and people that rate us still um and still retweet us and really appreciate you guys for listening during all this stuff and you can find all the articles and everything that we post on crimson and um go ahead and follow jack at cc machine or at j larry shields I'm at Kamarabi and CCM or Alan Kenny, who drops his pod during the week as well, at Blatant Homerism. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Google Play. Please go ahead and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really appreciate that and really appreciate your input. And again, thanks for you guys for sticking with us, and we will check you guys later.